Hey leaders, before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about a free event that I'm hosting, your personal leadership audit live workshop. I've put the workshop together because if you want to stand out as an exceptional leader, you have to know yourself inside and out. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses is critical. And for that, you need a high degree of self-awareness and a commitment to self-reflection. Now, if you're committed to unlocking your leadership potential, then working through a self-assessment like this is going to help you to quickly identify a path to higher impact. I'll be leading you through a deep dive into the seven imperatives of my No Bullshit Leadership Framework, so that by the end of the session, you'll know exactly what areas you need to develop if you really want to stand out from the crowd. We're only opening up 150 spots, so register now at yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. That's yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 198 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Layoffs Are Back, another Q&A with M. Well, it's interesting how quickly things change. The Great Resignation is in full swing, and this is causing a shortage of people in the labour market, which in turn is pushing up wages, which in turn is increasing the cost of doing business. From the other side, the squeeze is coming in the form of higher inflation, which leads to higher input costs, which leads to companies raising their prices, 
which leads to reduced demand for their products and services. Now these two forces are making it harder for companies to remain profitable, and so the cost cutting begins. Big tech companies like Netflix, Carvana, Better.com, Peloton, and even weight loss app company Noom are laying off staff in their thousands as growth slows. Reality returns as people realise that even market darlings like these companies need to manage their businesses to ensure they're stable, profitable and sustainable. But somewhere down the line, this affects people's lives. Those who are laid off and those leaders whose accountability it is to do the laying off can be significantly affected by the experience. Today, we're going to look at it from both sides and give you some ideas for how to handle it if you do happen to find yourself on either side of a layoff conversation. Of course, given this is a Q&A episode, I'm really happy to welcome Em back to this side of the mic. Now, for those of you who don't know, Em is the co-founder and CEO of our company, Your CEO Mentor, and she's the producer of this No Bullshit Leadership podcast. Em, how are you doing? Hello, hello. I am very well, thanks. I think we're just starting to feel the wintry chill here in Sydney, Australia. So I'm very jealous of the warmth that you're getting in Boston. I can see you wearing a t-shirt there. <laughs> I am not built for the cold. Yeah, I know. And look, Em, it's all relative, right? I think our winter was a little bit rougher than you're going to find in Sydney. Uh, you don't get snow and I'm sure you can deal with a couple of 10 degree days because I had to deal <laughs> with an ice storm, which I've never seen before. And it completely freaked me out to have half an inch of ice encasing the car. The remotes <laughs> just didn't work. I, I felt like I should have been walking around with a portable hairdryer just to be able to drive around. So look, I've, um, I've loved getting back into my really disciplined morning routine since the warmer weather's come. Uh, I've dropped off my daily habits a little bit during the winter, to tell you the truth. So I'm back to feeling really good and super productive. Yeah, you've been an absolute machine over the last few weeks. I've been very impressed. All right. So Marty, look, every second day, there's a new article online that talks to mass layoffs. So my first question here is, what the hell is going on? Well, look, apart from the introduction things I mentioned there, um, there are some really interesting post-pandemic dynamics going on. So if you look at a company like Peloton, it's leading edge combination of a physical station recycling machine with tech-driven features such as um, comprehensive data collection, complete with competitive leaderboards and rankings, uh, video streaming, live and on-demand classes, and some of the most breathtaking scenery in the world delivered right to your home. It was a huge winner during COVID. Mm. But now people are back out in the world doing the real thing. And Peloton's awesome, but it's not as good as the real thing. So demand has simply reduced. Their market cap is now almost 90% lower than it was during the pandemic. So of course, Peloton recently announced the layoff of around 20% of its workforce. And that's almost 3,000 people. I have to say, I was one of those people during COVID that got an exercise machine. <laughs> that's right. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't in Peloton, but I still love it. I'm actually really glad that I, that I got it. So that's a really good example, but not all the layoffs are coming from the post-COVID hangover, of course. How about companies like Better.com? Uh, yeah, good point. I mean, um, you know, it's another trend we're seeing as a result of current business conditions, but tech stocks have been falling for a while and investors now have much less patience for companies that focus on blue sky more than they do on shareholder dividends. So from what I can tell, Better.com was just poorly managed. They just invested way too much ahead of the growth in revenue. They put too many people into their workforce ahead of the demand, and now they've had to rebalance it to a more appropriate level, 
in light of a slight market downturn. But how they did this is an awesome story. It's just a classic example of how not to do layoffs. I know I saw that. Didn't the CEO sack hundreds of people on a Zoom call? Yeah, I, I think about eight or 900 apparently. Yeah. Um, and he made a lot of really fundamental mistakes in how he executed this decision. So the first thing was he did it by Zoom and it was recorded. Now, I'm a massive believer in the fact that anytime you put something into the public domain in your workforce, doesn't matter what you say about confidentiality, it will leak. You've got to expect that it will leak. So you don't put anything out in an email or a company missive unless you expect it to turn up on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. So that was his first mistake. Um, the videos took about three and a half minutes, I think, to leak to the media. Um, the second thing was he showed some remorse and he took some of the blame, but he also made it all about himself. He spoke about how hard it was for him and that the last time he sacked people, he cried. And look, I guess he was trying to seem more human and compassionate, I guess, uh, but that just made him seem like he was disconnected and not in touch with his people. Mm. The third thing was that in other speeches that he'd made to his staff, which of course were also leaked, he said that many of the people who were made redundant were lazy and stupid, and they'd stolen from the company because they didn't produce the work that they were paid to produce. And so this is a classic rookie error of mixing up redundancies and layoffs with dismissal for non-performance for cause. And those are two completely different things that have to be handled very, very differently. What else have we got? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing was that they took more than one bite of that cherry. Now, I'm a massive believer in if you have to do layoffs, you take one crack at it. You do it all up, one go, and you say to people, that's it, it's all done, the pain's over, nothing to see here, let's get on with it. When you chip away and you do 1,000 here and 500 there and eventually better.com got to 4,000, everyone's sleeping with one eye open. They're all spending their mornings on you know, monster.com or seek looking for where they're going to get their next job from and they are really, really nervous about when the axe is going to fall on them. It's almost as if they can't sleep because they're worried that some person's going to come in in the middle of the night and put a bag over their head and drag them out. <laughs> so you've got to really be careful of the dynamic that that sets up. So... Look, all in all, better.com, <laughs> disastrous, disastrous outing for that CEO. Yeah, it sounds like it was bungled from so many different angles, but it's a really good case study for us to use. So what should he have done differently? Well, just elaborating on a few of those points. Um, first of all, my view is that for anything significant, like you've got to tell someone they no longer have a job and whether that's for redundancy or performance reasons, they should hear that from their direct manager. Now, it's the only decent thing to do because the direct manager is their organizational touch point. And it takes a lot more work and planning, but it's worth it to know that the people who are affected are given the opportunity to talk to someone that they at least have a relationship with. There was another example in Australia several years ago where over 500 power plant workers were notified via text message that the plant they'd worked in all their life in a remote town of Victoria would be closing within a few months and they'd all be losing their jobs. Like, really? And this is what happens when you let lawyers and corporate affairs people drive the process, with, of course, all due respect to lawyers and corporate affairs people, they have a role to play. But they're conservative by nature and they value the consistency and ease of execution of being able to notify everyone at the same time above the care for the individual. 
And this can actually result in some pretty perverse outcomes. Um, I don't know if you remember that movie from several years ago with George Clooney um, and Vera Farmiga. Um, it was called uh, Up in the Air. Up, that's right, Up in the Air. Mm. Now, he used mm-hmm. to fly around the country terminating his clients' employees. And sure, he was an expert in the contractual side of the experience, but it was awful to see the look on people's faces as the implications of the news sunk in, and on the other side of the table from them, a complete stranger with zero empathy. Yeah, I actually really liked that movie. Um, the thing is, though, if you're doing mass layoffs, is there a reason why you would tell, say, a thousand people at the same time with the same message versus the slower pace of telling people one by one, um, I guess, and potentially diluting the message? I can imagine it would make for a lot of water cooler conversation, uh, make a lot of people anxious that they might be next. Isn't, I don't know, doing it swiftly and in broad strokes more compassionate in a way? Oh, look, you're spot on, Em. I mean, like all communication, there's value in the consistency of message. Um, But people want to know what it means for them individually, and they want to have the opportunity to ask questions to get a better understanding of that. Group broadcasts are pretty impersonal, and people absolutely won't feel valued if that's how they're told. So I would always plan the communication to make sure it was layered. And what I mean by that is... With anything really significant, there's probably a need for a general high-level announcement to the whole organisation about what's happening and why. Then, the communication cascades through the layers, and each leader in each layer is briefed on the specific messages that she has to give to her team. For individually significant events like layoffs, the direct manager should be having any one-on-one conversations with the affected individuals. Now, this is important so that the organisation gives each individual the respect and courtesy that they're due. It doesn't have to take forever. If you plan this well, you can plan it to be done within a 24 or 48-hour period because no single manager has a span of control that's too big to do that. But, you know, many leaders simply can't do it, and they try to shirk their responsibilities, particularly in larger organisations where HR is expected to step into the breach and do the work of the line leaders. Okay, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I know that you've been made redundant in the past and you've also been in the situation where you've had to make people redundant. Can you share a little bit about your personal experiences there? Yeah, sure. Look, I've I've probably told this story a few times. So um, my first redundancy experience was an absolute double whammy. (laughs) And it was almost 20 years ago at a mining company I worked for in Australia. Uh, we went through a semi-hostile takeover where we were the target. My fate was sealed early. Uh, They said to me, look, we've got a chief information officer in London. We don't need another CIO in Australia, so you're out of a job. And that was fine. I understood that, and it was good. But then I signed up to actually help with the transition and with the integration of the two companies. And when it came to that, I insisted on giving the news of redundancy to every single employee in my group. And the interesting thing is we, we feel as though people are going to be upset when they're made redundant. But I had just as many people who are upset because they weren't made redundant. Isn't that crazy? Oh, wow. I actually wouldn't have thought about that. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, you know, um, some people, they know they can get a job the next week. And so the opportunity to get a large payout from redundancy is like it's a wealth creator. And I had a number of people who said, please make me redundant. You know, I know I can get another job. I'm really good at what I do. And I'd love to bank that cash. (laughs) So the tricky one is how do you decide who to lay off? 
Well, this is interesting because uh, redundancy and layoffs are specific to the position, not necessarily to any one individual. For example, an excess of roles in the workforce, um, so some have to be removed, right? Um, or maybe it's a restructure as a result of a merger and acquisition like we spoke about before. You don't need two CFOs. You don't need two full procurement teams. The economies of scale are actually baked into those takeover assumptions. Now, these types of layoffs are not supposed to be performance-based, but they always are to some extent at least. There could be, for example, multiple roles that are the same or at least very similar. So you have to work out which of the individuals populating those roles you would prefer to lose. So the rule of thumb is if you have to do this, determine the key roles and determine your key people who you want to keep under any circumstances and make sure that none of those are caught in the friendly fire. You want them to have a seat when the music stops. <laughs> All right. So while we're talking about rules of thumb, can you run us through the rules of thumb for laying off people? Give us some kind of, I don't know, checklist to go through. Uh, okay, look, I, I can make this pretty quick. I'm not going to go into too much detail on anyone, um, but there are just some really good principles here that you need to observe. So the first thing is, don't ever make the redundancies voluntary. Okay, you're going to run into that problem that I was just speaking about earlier, where the people you're going to lose are the ones who know they can get employed really, really easily. They'll take the money, they'll go to another organisation, and you're going to be left with those people who know they can't easily get another job because they're not that good at what they do. So you might be able to get that cost cutting in place and the market might even reward you for that by seeing you cut your costs, but you will have a lower average capability in your workforce. So my personal view, don't ever make the redundancies voluntary. Um, another rule of thumb is that it should be done by the manager who actually leads the person involved. You need to do it in the line, not through HR. So for any of you Game of Thrones fans, there's a quote I just love where Ned Stark said, he who passes the sentence should swing the sword. And I think that's <laughs> Very really... Very visual. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it is. Absolutely. Well, he said that just before he did behead someone. So it is visual. But, um, uh, but it's really important that we think about that and take on our duty of care and responsibility as a leader. Uh, next rule is when you're actually making someone redundant or laying them off because of a general cost-cutting exercise, do not talk about performance. It's only about the position that needs to be removed. And even if there's a performance element behind it, you can't muddy the waters by talking about the two things because that will be confusing. What else? Oh, don't be overly apologetic. Right now, quite often I'll hear leaders, I'm so sorry, I know it's really bad, we shouldn't have done this to you. You're such a good person, you know. Don't do not do that. Don't grovel. Like, it's, it's part of life. It's part of business. Yes, show empathy. Yes, show compassion for their situation. But, but don't grovel and don't be overly apologetic. You just look weak. Talking of looking weak, don't blame the leaders above you. Don't, don't go in there and say, oh, look, Marty, you know, I, I would absolutely keep you, but I've been forced to lay you off because those bastards above me have just told me that I've got to let you go. Right? Don't, don't take yourself out of the situation. Own it and take on your accountability as a leader because you will have had something to do with it in terms of who you've chosen to go from your team. Oh, yeah, be really clear when you're giving the conversation, the news to someone about their process and their entitlements. So in other words, here's the next steps. Here's what you're entitled to under your contracts in the terms of separation. Um, here's what you can expect going forward. Here's what we're going to do to help you. Here's your timing. 
Like you need to have all of that done uh, and make sure that you can articulate that and make sure they understand it. Uh, have something in writing actually to support that too is a good thing because the minute you say uh, your role's being made redundant, they won't hear another word that comes out of your mouth. So you've got to give them something to take away that summarizes all of that. Um, if possible, show support for each individual's transition. So, you know, understanding their particular circumstances is good. This is why a faceless HR person can't do it. You need to have a line leader with a relationship to say, I know what this means to you. Let's talk through how you're going to handle it. And finally, don't talk about yourself. Don't make it about you. Um, our CEO of better.com did that. I'm so sad. I've had to do this before and it made me cry. No one cares, dude. Like, you know, it's their life you're affecting and you're making the call. So don't talk about yourself and don't make it about you. I just want to go on to one of the points that you said, have something in writing. Would you recommend that people have an email, I don't know, ready to send as soon as the meeting's over with all the key points in it or something like that? Because as you said, people kind of stop listening, not stop listening, but you kind of go into another another zone just after you've been told you've lost your job. There's the worry that comes up and the emotions with that. So how do you think it's best to communicate that? Uh, yeah, look, good point, Em. You can do it either way. I, I prefer to have something in my hand, in writing, when I have the conversation. Because you don't know what a person's going to do when they leave the room. They, they may not necessarily go back and read their email straight away. Good point. And as I said, it's a very emotional thing for them. They may not hear any of the detail that you speak about, so they can walk out of the room and they've got something in their hand to read. The first thing they might do is go out of the room and downstairs and call their husband. And if they're going to do that, they need to have, they'll, they'll get 100 questions. They need to know how to answer those. And they can go, oh, hang on a minute, I've, I've, I've got a bit of paper here, let me look. You know, so, so it just gives them something tangible straight away that they can lean on and rely upon that tells them what's, hap- what's going to happen to them. Yeah, that's a really good point. Okay, we get a lot of pushback when we talk about letting people go, especially in public service roles. You always say that if you do it the right way and legally, you have all your I's dotted and your T's crossed, that it's not as hard as people make out and it doesn't take anywhere near as long. What legalities do you have to check when it comes to layoffs? So, I don't know, let's say like us, you don't have a legal or an HR department to kind of cross-check these things off with. Obviously, I would always recommend getting professional advice, but just some, uh, yeah, some more guidelines around this. Uh, Yeah, once again, it's a good question. Look, believe it or not, (laughs) it's actually a lot easier if you don't have an HR or legal department because you're not going to get caught up in the bureaucracy. So it probably means you're in a smaller company and you have more flexibility. You do need to understand workplace relations law. And I'm going to go through this in a minute in terms of, you know, what types of things you need to consider. Um, But, you know, it's more friendly to the company uh, if you're in a smaller business. It's not as bureaucratic. And in Australia, I think there's a threshold of, I don't know, I think it's companies with maybe 15 employees that are classified as small businesses. So if you're in a startup or an entrepreneurial venture, then you have much, much more freedom to do what the business needs as opposed to being caught up in red tape. But I do have um, a couple of rules to work your way through to think about not tripping over any of the legislational regulations. So the very first thing is follow any applicable legislation in your country or state. You, You cannot compromise that. So you need to know what that is, and that's where expert opinion comes in handy, I guess. Um, But laying off people in France or Japan is much harder than laying off people in the US. 
Second thing, uh, make sure you follow any company policies that have been approved by the executive or board and that you've made available to your people. If you've laid down some ground rules for how this stuff's going to work, well, you can't change the rules of the game halfway through. Uh, Number three, make sure you don't do anything that contravenes an employment agreement, whether it's a person's individual employment contract or a broader industrial agreement that's been negotiated with the unions on behalf of the employees. Rule number four, don't do anything that the senior leadership of the organisation doesn't endorse in principle. So often CEOs and leadership teams simply don't have the appetite for making the changes that will improve organisational performance. And that's exactly what you've honed in on your questioning. Mm. So I think the thing with organisations like, you know, government organisations, sometimes not-for-profits, they simply don't have the appetite to do the work and saying that the process is too hard is their excuse that lets them get out of it. It's just a rationalisation. Legally, there's no reason why you can't anywhere. Good point. So wrapping all that up, there's, there's probably just one thing I'd say that supersedes all of these rules that are about technicalities and process. Make sure you are leading with integrity. Don't do anything to your people that's unfair or dishonest. Uh, By the same token, don't hide behind the excuses that you can't do anything because the process is too difficult or time-consuming. Yeah, I love that. And I think there's always that thing, you know, do to other people what you would want done to you. And if you really sit down and think about that, uh, you'll probably come at it from a different angle. I just want to flip the script a little bit. Do you have any tips if you're the one being laid off? I imagine, I mean, I haven't been made redundant before, but I can imagine this would be like quite an emotional time. Uh, yeah, it can be. And sometimes you don't realise until you actually get through the process that it has been emotional. So for me, when I was first laid off um, 20 odd years ago, uh, I was very, very happy about it because I was one of those guys who went, great new opportunities. I'm freed up to go and you know take on the next big adventure and they're going to pay me a bucket of money to go and do it. So even though I loved that, once I was released, the toll of it emotionally was quite surprising. So for example, I couldn't get um, a, a prepaid, I'm sorry, I couldn't get a postpaid mobile phone plan because at all of the big telcos, they said to me, well, hang on, you're not employed. I can't give it to you. Oh, wow. And I'd say, well, hang on. Well, hang on, hang on. Do you want to have a look at how many zeros I've got on my bank account today since I've left that job? <laughs> but it didn't matter, right? Their form online says current employer. And if you can't fill that in, they say, well, we'll give you prepaid because we don't trust you to pay your bill. So it's a little things like that to just don't anticipate. Um, but look, as I said, don't take it personally. It's part of business. It will happen to you once or twice and you need to learn from the experience. Just remember one thing. It's very rare that a company will let their best employees go. Unless, of course, you're the casualty of the sort of, you know, mayhem of a takeover, which, you know, obviously that consolidation will spit out a number of roles. But most organizations think carefully about who goes during these processes. If you've been let go, it may mean... And just consider this, it may mean that you're not their favourite child. And so have a think about what you can do to to shore up your position so that the next time it happens, it ain't going to be you if you don't want it to be. So just have a think about that because that's really important in terms of how you position yourself. Marnie, just quickly, um, who's your favourite child? (laughs) Well, it's actually (laughs) Olivia. I've been meaning to break this to you. I thought I'd do it on podcast episode 198. But you're okay too, Em. <laughs> uh, 
other things. Sorry, as you were. No worries. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, um, uh, and the other thing I was going to say, look, if, if you're the one being laid off, have a look at the benefits. You know, you'll have lump sum payouts, you'll have gardening leave, you might have, um, you know, transition plans, uh, transition training. So, so those sorts of things. So a lot of organisations will give you some great benefits, which are of high value in any context. And it's really all about mindset. So this is what's going to free you up for your next great opportunity. So look at it that way. Yeah, I love the mindset stuff. We did a Q&A podcast a few months ago, episode 184 on exiting gracefully. I'll put that link in the show notes. But one of the things that I took from that was your FLAP acronym. Can you talk to that quickly? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, When I used to run with a group of guys, we had this expression FLAP. It was an acronym for finish like a pro. So if you're running a marathon, it doesn't matter how ugly, you know, kilometer 32 to 36 looks like. When you come into that last half a kilometer, you lift your head, you strengthen your, your chest, you, you lengthen your stride, and you look like a pro when you cross that finish line. So we had this expression, finish like a pro. Now in this context, regardless of what's happened, if you're being let go, don't play the victim. Maintain your integrity and deliver value right up until the end. Even if the people who made you redundant didn't do a good job of that. You want on your last day for everyone to look at each other and go, holy shit, why did we let Marty go? He is awesome. I mean, really? Was, was he the one that had to go through this, through this set of layoffs? I can't believe it. That's what you want. And that's what you want to leave people with is that impression because you finished like a pro. So flap. I love that concept, Marty. Finish like a pro is what a true no bullshit leader would do. (laughs) Totally. Well, I think we've covered this topic pretty extensively. Might be a bit of a long episode this week, but hopefully it's useful for people on both sides of the situation. Do you want to wrap this episode up, Marty? Sure, Em. Uh, That brings us to the end of episode 198. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please share this episode right now with your network of leaders. I'm going to really look forward to next week's episode, employee engagement. What does it really measure? Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no bullshit leader. <laughs>